Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephanie Larkin, and I'm delighted to be joined by author and retired homicide detective Michael O'Keefe. Mike, thanks for joining us. Ah, oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank Thrilled you for having me. Thrilled to have me. you. And uh, Mike's latest book, A Reckoning in Brooklyn. I love this. Uh, it's a kind of scary-looking uh, sunset there. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that's actually, uh, I did the cover myself uh, with some assistance uh, from a friend of mine who's a, a graphic designer, but I actually bought the photograph. That's a pretty famous photograph in downtown Brooklyn, okay. overlooking the Manhattan Bridge. Nice. And I bought the rights to it and messed around with the cropping, uh, but I felt it needed uh, some color aspect. Yeah. So I had these ideas and I sketched it with colored pencil, but it looked awful. <laughs> Until my friend Patty got it and yeah. she was like, oh, I can work with this. And this is, this is what came of it. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Makes me want to read it. Wow. So tell us how you got your start in writing because you, you wrote a lot. I mean, this is your latest, but this is a prequel to Shot, Shot to, to pieces. pieces. And you also have 13 stories or short stories. Yeah, 13 stories for actually twisted and put away wet. That's uh, 13 prize winning or uh, published uh, short stories I put together as a collection. And um, So you've been busy. I've been busy. How long have you been writing? Uh, I retired in 2010 um, and kept threatening to write a book. My wife got tired of hearing about it, so <laughs> she bought me a laptop, threw it at me, and said, just write the thing. Nice. So I started Shot to Pieces. I uh, had an idea of a story in my head that was largely autobiographical. I had a very eventful career. Um, a lot of bumps. Um, <laughs> So I started writing that and outlining it. Uh, I incorporated one of my old homicide cases from Brooklyn into it, which was a very interesting case. And, uh, but ultimately, by the time I got done with it, um, it was more about the people and the, their dysfunctions yeah. than, uh, well, <laughs> than the actual so crime thing. That's what makes it so but, great. Uh, yeah. It took me, I, I was on a run. I was probably 75% done with it in like seven months, but then I couldn't figure out how I wanted to end it. I didn't know if I wanted a happy ending or if I wanted Detective Dare to go down in flames. Uh, so I put it away for a couple of months, gave okay. myself the summer off. And uh, by the time the summer ended, I, I figured it out, wrote it. Uh, all through the editing process, I was trying to have it published traditionally, mm -hmm. which I'm not wasting my time with that anymore. Yeah, um, I understand. <laughs> but um, I finally decided to self-publish. Okay. So that came out in, I want to say 2012. Now, at that point, did you know, because Shot to Pieces has um, other books that are coming out in the series? 
Yes. Did you know that when you finished Shot to Pieces that there would be more? I knew that there could be more, okay. just largely because, I mean, I worked hundreds of homicides. I have plenty right. of material. Right. Um, but I wasn't sure that anybody would want to see another Patty Dare novel. Okay. Until everybody told me when's the next Patty Dare novel coming. Oh, okay. So, so, like, so you right. wrote it as a standalone, yeah. but the, the great I was, reviews. I wasn't sure if I had another book in me. Okay. Uh, it turns out I had several. Um, <laughs> and there's more to come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I have the... Uh, a Reckoning in Brooklyn is actually the prequel to, uh, to Shot to Pieces. Patty Dare appears as a 17-year-old in it. Right. And uh, we, we get a lot of explanation on what put him on the path to becoming a cop in the first place. Gotcha. Um, but the next book is a true sequel. It's uh, called Burnt to a Crisp. Mm -hmm. Based again on one of my old homicides was a, a, an arson that resulted in three deaths. An elderly man, his wife, and their 33-year-old son who had Down syndrome. Obviously not intended targets of the arson, but uh, it was a very difficult case. One of my most challenging cases, and you know, frankly I'm proud of it. So yeah, that's going to be a part of a book. All right. Um, Tell me about the name Patty Durr. That's your protagonist through... The, the books and the books to come. Yeah, I, actually, when I first made the character Patty Durr, I, was, I, I had no intention of keeping that name. Oh, really? Yeah, but uh, because it's my birth name. How did I not know that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't talk about it much. But I was adopted, and my birth name was Patty Durr. Uh, different spelling. It was D-E-R-R was okay. my birth name. I changed this to U just because I liked the way it looked. Uh, and it was really just a working name until, you know, reading it back to myself, I'm like, no, that's the name. Wow. Yeah, and the, and well, and the other thing so is, this to be perfectly honest, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's. I mean, right, I, I knew that, but right down to the name, yeah. I didn't realize that was your birth yeah. name. Yeah, well, nobody did. The only one who got it, and I didn't even know he knew it, was my brother. Okay. And I'm like, how do you even know? He goes, I saw the, the adoption paperwork in, uh, in daddy's drawer. No. I was like, well, you didn't think to tell me about it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't find out until when I was getting married. I didn't have a baptismal certificate. Okay. Uh, my mother kept giving me this, it's like a rededication certificate under the name Michael O'Keefe. Okay. Uh, and Holy Redeemer in Freeport is just not accepting it. They're like, no, you need the baptismal certificate. Right. And my mother was a difficult woman to deal with. Uh, her truths were her own. Um, I finally had to sit her down and interrogate her. I'm like, listen, I can't get married without this. What's going on? Right, right. And she basically referred me to the uh, family hospital in Manhattan. Oh, my gosh. So I go down there, and uh, the Monsignor doesn't want to give me anything. He actually pulled out the blotter of the births. There was only one male birth on March 19th in 1963. And I'm reading the name upside down. I'm like, old man, you have two choices. Turn that book around and give me all the information. Or go take a walk, and I'll turn the book around and take all the information. <laughs> He's like, I'm not allowed to do that, technically. Because back then, all the protections were on the yeah, adoptive yeah. parents. Right. Um, and I assured him, I'm getting that information. So finally he gave it to me because he realized I was getting that information. Right. Um, and it kind of, it was cool. Yeah. 
because I was able to now just take that small bit of information on my origin and spin it out in a gazillion different directions. None of them good, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what I've concluded, because my birth mother was a 17-year-old Irish girl from Omaha. Uh, my birth father, who I know very little bit about, was the Irish print shop owner that she worked for. So I was either, I might have been the product of a rape, but I, at the very least it was a sexual exploitation thing. Right, right. And after she gave birth to me, she went back to Omaha and never came back. Wow. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why people ask me, why don't you go look your mother up? I'm like, I don't know that she wants to see me. Yeah. I might be something that she's very happy to have in her rearview mirror. Why would I want to force someone to revisit a time that maybe was a horror for them? Yeah, yeah. no, I get so, that. So I let that go. Good but, choice. Um, yeah, you know, can't, can't all be about you. No, that's really... So, and I have enough information. That's amazing. And, and I like the ability to spin out different versions of it. Yeah. So eventually I'll, I'll pick one and write it. I had no idea. I, you know, I'm yeah. going to reread your book now with a totally different... <laughs> had no idea, and I've always wanted to ask you that question. Mm. The, uh, I actually have a short novella out also called Not Buried Deep Enough. Okay. The protagonist in that... That actually is my story growing up. Okay. And it has all the aspects of the adoption and the aftermath. And all right. So I know I'll be getting a good email later. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> With a whole lot of stuff involved. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So you set to work writing Shot to Pieces. Wrote it in about seven months. Took some time off. Made some decisions about how you were going to go about publishing. But sounds like the whole thing was put together in a year. Uh was ready for publication in a year. Maybe took me six months of getting frustrated, yeah, yeah. querying uh, agents. Right. Um, and then I, uh, oh, I made the brilliant decision to use a pay-to-play uh, publisher. Ah. Uh, $12,000 later. Oh, um, ouch. Well, I made the money back, so I'm okay. all right. All right. But uh, what cut it uh, for me with this publisher was I wasn't able to advertise on Amazon. They wouldn't make me an agent of the book. Oh, dear. So I finally get somebody on the phone, uh, and I talk to them. I'm like, listen, just make me an agent of the book, and right. I can do my own advertisement. You don't have to get involved. They're like, no, we don't do it that way. You give us $7,000, and then we structure a campaign for you. I said, so let me get this straight. For $140 in Amazon ads, I'm going to give you $7,000? <laughs> you were so fired, it isn't even funny. Right, right. And I killed the publishing contract that day. Three days later, the book I put the book back up on uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. You know, just your saying this is really opening a lot of eyes for people. Thank you. I appreciate All right. that. That's great. So you're published with, with Shot to Pieces. And when did you already have the next books in mind that you were going to work on? Or did you give yourself a break? I, I had actually, I had an idea of a reckoning in Brooklyn because I grew up in Bushwick and, okay. and, and a lot of the characters, particularly the mafia characters, people I knew. Uh, my problem, uh, most of the books about the mafia tend to glorify them. Okay. And I know they're nothing but knuckle-dragging thugs who would rob their own mothers and that whole omerta thing, they're spraining their backs trying to flip on each other. So I wanted to write a mafia book mm -hmm. that basically exposed them for what they were. Right. Um, and I wanted to set it in the 70s in Bushwick when heroin was killing the neighborhood. Um, and I had it kind of outlined. Uh, 
but I wasn't ready to write it. And then I blew out my Achilles playing baseball. <laughs> yeah. I'm loving this. Yeah. I am loving so, this. Uh, I'm an idiot. I mean, I frankly admit it. Uh, I, against the doctor's uh, advice, I went back to the gym uh, a week after the uh, the surgery, repairing it. You know, with the big boot, right, big right. Frankenstein boot. Uh, well, you sweat in the gym, and the sweat goes down, and it soaks the bandages, it gets into the wound, and the next thing you know, you have septic. <sighs> so. <laughs> I realize I have an infection. I go back to the doctor, and he's furious with me. He takes the boot off. He won't give me anything to cover it but a piece of gauze and an ace bandage. <laughs> and he says, you're going to sit in your recliner for three weeks. Ooh. Well, I did. And in three weeks, I had a book. All right. The first draft of a reckoning in I'm Brooklyn I'm going to send people there. to your doctor, man, who want to write. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that. first got to... Tell your Achilles, that's a nightmare. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, no, yeah, the first draft was born in three, in, uh, in three weeks. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it's obviously revisions and additions. Of course, of course. Uh, the biggest addition was most recently, uh, right before I published it, um, in, in my, my book events, uh, you know, you develop a following. Mm -hmm. And some people aren't just followers. They're f fans borderlining stalkers and, <laughs> and i got one who, by the way he's, he's he's a dear friend now i love the man <laughs> your stalker is a friend but he was he was feeling like a stalking because uh angela florio was a retired detective and he uh 1973 he got shot uh no way he should have survived this um doing an undercover buy it turned out to be a drug rip and he takes a 357 in the chest and um uh, He's coming to all of my book events. Shot to Pieces moved him. And uh, he always wanted somebody to tell his story. He didn't, he wasn't able to write it. So he's coming and he lives at the Outer Bridge Crossing end of Staten Island. And he's coming to all of my events on, on Long Island in Manhattan. And he wants me to write his story. But, I may, but really, it's one event. Right, right. You know, he wasn't a cop long enough. Yeah. And I'm trying to explain to him, I don't have time. I'm writing right. my own stuff. I've got other books in the works. I'm basically shining them on. Finally, he comes out to, uh, for the uh, opening of 13 Stories I did uh, in Coogan's in Manhattan, uh, and he's there. And uh, finally, my wife, uh, Janet, said, you got to do something for this guy. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, look, Ange, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Your story is not a book. In Shot to Pieces, my big gunfight story is in it, but it's not the book. It's a chapter in the book. Right. What I can do for you, if you don't mind, I will write your character into my next novel and uh, we'll use your, your, your event. We'll, we'll update. It won't be 73. It'll be 79. Right. It'll take place in Bushwick, not Flatbush, but it's going to be your story. Right. And uh, he's, oh, that would be wonderful. He thought that was great. So I wrote the material. I figured out where it could fit into the book. He's such a good guy, man. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm a mercenary because I'm making money on him now. So. But in any event, I write him into the book, uh, and I send him his pages. 
I said, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm done with the first draft of your material. I figured out where it fits in the book. Uh, I'm going to send it to you in a file. Read it. Uh, if you want to make any changes, make some changes. You know, give me a call. Whatever you want to do, email it back. Right. Because it's not too late. It's not published yet. I can fix anything. So I send it to him. An hour later, uh, he calls me back. I see his number on the, on the caller ID. And all I hear on the other end is him blubbering. Aww. He was so moved. Aww. So, uh... I love this. Yeah, so when I did my first book launch uh, with the book, I, I knew he was coming, but I made sure that he was coming. And I allowed him to read his pages to the audience. And it was uh Okay, you know now very you're going to have like every retired detective but I'm okay to... with that because I'm actually I'm calling around and asking permission to use okay. my old friends okay good good because like they're going to be busting down your door man well, in, in the book that I'm working on now Patty Dar book that I'm working on now I don't even have a title yet it's called Patty Dar 4 um, but a big investigation occurs in the 113 I have dear friends that work there that were phenomenal detectives. One of them, my uh, friend Dwayne Epps, passed away last year. I got his wife's permission to write him into the book. And uh, Detective Stevie Peelan, uh, phenomenal, legendary detective from the 113. We actually went into the detective bureau together, called him up, and he was all excited. He was like, yeah, write me in. He's got one of those raspy voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to be in your book. <laughs> so it's nice because I'm getting to... And they're novels, so they're not, you know, they're fictional accounts. Right, right. But it's giving you more But material. their personality is yeah. there. They're yeah. going to recognize themselves. Right. And, uh, well, hopefully they're going to like it. Otherwise, i got a problem, lawsuit problem. <laughs> but, no, well, it's... You're it, sending it in advance. If I like so. you and your name really appears in my novel, A, you've given me permi permission, and it's going to be, you're going to like it. Right. Okay. If I don't like you... <laughs> I'm going to change your name, but you're going to recognize yourself. Has that happened? Oh, yeah. I settled a lot of scores. Really? Oh, yeah. Do, just, did anybody notice? Well, I have uh, one uh, a U.S. attorney um, who was in Shot to Pieces. Uh, I changed her name, uh, but it's her. And, did she uh, read the book? Yeah, and she's furious. Uh, a retired captain friend of mine who lives in the same village as her up in upstate uh, says, she wants to sue you, but I don't think she will. I'm like, why? He goes, because you know why. I'm like, because she'd have to walk into open court and admit that she's that scoundrel. <laughs> it's true. What do you say in court? Yeah. I want to sue this oh, guy. Oh, you know for... that awful human being? That miserable miscreant? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I identify with that. Oh Go for, you know what? It would be worth the 10 grand. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you say? You're right. How, yeah. do you, how do you sue you off of that? So you changed enough identifying information. Yeah, and, and then the other thing is, uh, uh, stupid cops, bad cops, um, corrupt cops—they're composites. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I basically. There's uh, so many of them that you could just. Make well, it's not that there's so many. It's there were uh, levels of uh, my my era uh, of policing. Corruption wasn't as rampant or organized as it was in the 60s and the 70s okay. prior to the Knapp Commission. So it's a different kind of corruption. It's basically bad human nature taking its toll, mm -hmm. people having opportunity. We used to call guys making scores, scoop and score. 
unintended. Uh, the problem is they're not just taking money, they're taking guns and drugs and recycling them. Those are the guys that need to go to prison. Right. So I never personally saw it, mm -hmm. but I knew about it. Right. And, and I knew who they were. Yeah. They appear in my books, but not under their own name. And, you know, they're obviously composites of other bad cops. Um, I don't write negatively about the police department. I actually, my heroes are cops. Uh, in my books, the best people in the books are cops. Um, but there are... It's good and bad every place. Well, that's the other thing about the police department. People are... Uh, not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody became a cop for the same reason. Right. And one of the dirty secrets that the police department doesn't want you to know is that 90% of the police work's being done by 5% of the cops, mm. and everybody else is kind of stealing their paycheck. That was so when I was working. Um, I don't imagine it's changed. So that comes out in my books. Tell so. me, when you were a kid, did, did you ever think you were going to become an author? Were you good at English? I wanted to be, yeah, I was. I wanted to be a, a, a writer. Did uh, you? My introduction to writing was, in, believe it or not, in seventh grade uh, at All Lady and the Miraculous Medal. And I had a teacher, uh, her name was Ann Wintergerst. And uh, I was in love with her. Uh, total <laughs> smoke show. I hope Ann is watching this show right I now. hope so. <laughs> I'll send her a link because <laughs> I have her email. But uh, it was my first introduction to creative writing. She had me writing poetry. She had me writing little short vignettes, stories. Uh, and I liked it. I found that I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I was necessarily any good at it. I know I never handed an assignment in on time. I was a horrendous <laughs> student. But it got me on the road to writing. And look, Ann, now he's got books. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, what's interesting about Anne is she's Dr. Anne Wintergerst, and she's the chairman of the, uh, of the Eng English Literature Department at St. John's University. Really? So, yeah. It's, that Did was, you invite her to book events? Yeah, she hasn't been able to make any. <laughs> um, but uh, She'll be like, I remember Mikey. He never handed anything on time. No, I actually saw her at, uh, we had a 40th reunion. Nice. And uh, she came to it. She's tremendous. Wow. Like, yeah. So that but, was your uh, first inspiration? I love yeah. that. Yeah, and then through high school, uh, St. Francis Prep. Okay. Uh, uh, they had a poetry magazine. Mm -hmm. um, they had uh, short story contests, uh, plays. Just, I was writing all through high school. Right. Uh, and then uh, when I got to college, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, so I took everything for a short time and then dumped it all. But the thing that I stayed with was English, particularly writing. Uh, I was at the School of Visual Art for two years knowing I wasn't going to be an artist, but I stuck around because their creative writing program was so good. Couldn't get a degree in it, but it was good, and I was getting things published right. in student publications and stuff. Um, I love this. The seeds were there the whole time. Yeah, they were there. And then and you then became then, a uh, detective. Well, Homicide. Once I got on the police department, I really didn't have time to I probably could have made time to creatively write, right? but uh, it's almost the primitive way cops tell stories, and they have to be oral. Okay. I mean, the culture at the time that I became a cop is everybody was in the bar, and you were sharing stories. Right. And, uh, and it was great. It was like an oral history. 
and I didn't write for a long time and you know all my writing was uh, geared toward police paperwork when I became a detective um, as a young detective I caught a crazy gunpoint robbery uh, gang thing in Queens mm -hmm. machine guns uh, there's a gang called flip the script in any event I make a great case on this. I get everybody involved. I make the arrests. I get confessions. Just super work for a rookie detective. But I take one of the old-time detectives' advice, who says, document nothing. Mm -hmm. Because then you can't get tripped up on the stand. So, oh, okay, so I didn't write anything down. A case like that takes two years to go to trial. You don't remember anything if you didn't write it down. Right, right. I sure. look like a boob on the stand in cross-examination. The only reason that the case was saved is I threw myself on the sword in front of the jury and said, listen, I took some bad, I was a young detective, right. didn't know better, took some bad advice, and I did not sufficiently document this case. Right. I do not have a personal recollection, you know, I just don't have an independent yeah. recollection. If I would tell you things, I'd be lying, and I'm not gonna do that again. Right. Right. The guy got convicted and ended up getting 30 years, so it worked out. But right. from that day forward, when I would do my investigative follow-up reports, right. called DD-5s in the police department, um, I would write them as narrative stories, mm. basically telling myself a story. Nice. Because go I'm going to remember that. And it was so effective that by the end of my career, um, not this case, but the one, that, uh, the one that's going to be in uh, Burnt to a Crisp. Okay. That uh, that wasn't even a case folder anymore. It was two boxes okay. full of documents wow. and reports. And wow. There was so much involved in that investigation. Right, right. So when I went to get up on the stand, I'm um, carrying both of these things. I thumped them on the, uh, on the table in the witness stand and swear in as a witness. And I spend three hours in direct examination and never have to refer to a piece of paper in the case because I remembered it, because I wrote it as a story. Because you wrote it, right. And, and it drove the, uh, the defense attorney crazy because he wanted to slow things down and get me going to look things up mm -hmm. because he thought that he was going to get some inconsistencies. I'm like, no, I don't have to refresh my recollection. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So. And when you walk in with boxes, yeah. they're like, yeah, he, he knows. Yeah. He's, got this, he's got this going on. Yeah. And I predicted that that defendant would uh, die in prison. Mm -hmm. It took a lot shorter than I thought it would. He was dead within a month. No. Well, he killed the wrong people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And they had people in the state prison system. It doesn't take a lot of money to get a murder done in jail. So, but that's <laughs> not my purview. That's <laughs> the Ossining Police Department can handle that investigation. Oh, my but, gosh. But so yeah. I'm always eye-opening to sit with you. <laughs> Uh, Absolutely eye-opening to sit with you. Yeah. <laughs> I have a moral relativity about certain things. I get like that. Like when bad stuff happens to bad people. Yeah. I'm not so disturbed with that. Yeah, well, so. you've, you've seen a lot of bad stuff happen to bad people. Yeah, I need so. there to be karma. I, I, you know, personally, yeah. from an emotional standpoint, I need some karma. <laughs> so. Well, I'm thrilled you're here, and I'm thrilled that you're still writing. So the next book is, is ready to go in edits, and you're already on the fourth book after that yes. in your head. I just got to title it. Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> it just it's just pouring out of yeah. you. And I have a couple of other things outlined that uh, I, I might leave the genre for a little bit and write something different. What are you doing, like romance? <laughs> I actually have, it's, it's a sort of a crime story. It's a, it's a basketball story, college basketball story in New York from the 80s. All right. That involves uh, point shaving. So there's a mafia and a uh, All right, so corrupt U.S. attorney years, element. But yeah. But there's an amazing May-December romance in it. All so right. I could actually write it as a romance. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. Thank you for joining us. And you can find Michael O'Keefe, I believe, at michaelokeefeauthor.com. If you go on my webpage, I would encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. Okay. You get all sorts of Easter eggs, free Easter eggs. All uh, right. When I put my newsletter out, poet, new poetry, new writing, maybe a short story here and there. Terrific. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us for Once in Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.